You are listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, April 7th. Mark your calendars for next Wednesday. It's the Battle of the CISOs. Our own Mike Korn will face off against other CISOs in a cybersecurity quiz. This is our chance to finally test out if Mike knows as much as he thinks he does. You'll have to register to watch Mike in action. We've got the relevant links posted on the homepage of The Current. And today, we welcome back to the podcast Valerie Polichar with some updates on the future of work here in IT services, something I know we are all super eager to hear about, and how she and her team are reimagining research IT. This is Mark Herzberger. Today, I'm joined by Valerie Polichar, Senior Director of Academic Technology Services. Valerie, welcome to the pod. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. We'll start with the Future of Work workgroup mission. Uh, so let us know, what is the Future of Work workgroup purpose? Sure. So, I mean, first and foremost, we want to have the group advise the senior management team on the directions, the best practices, the processes, and if necessary, the policies that are best going to support an inclusive and a thriving IT services workforce. And we're talking about the post-pandemic era. Right. Where this is not about just our kind of transition period that we're in now as people are getting vaccinated and and some people may be able to be on campus that couldn't be on campus before. Really, we're looking ahead and we're saying, what have we learned from this um, difficult but interesting year and uh, what can we apply to the future, but also think about how we're going to feel in the future and when we don't have a pandemic hanging over our heads and what would be our ideal workplace to have a thriving staff. How did you come to be the S&T member representative and how would you describe your role with the work group? Are you a leader, a guide, a facilitator? So I think perhaps uh, somewhere in the, the guide slash facilitator role, something that not all IT services folks may realize I have a um, credential in mediation, which is kind of a semi-legal process that helps with dispute resolution. And I studied for several years to, to get that credential. I have I then subsequently applied what I'd learned to a technique for both brainstorming and also dispute resolution in the workplace, in, especially when you have, say, a meeting and folks are maybe disagreeing on approaches I've applied that technique to those situations pretty successfully. So I volunteered to do this and partly because I really have a passion for um, improving the environment and making this a place where folks can thrive, but also because I was hoping to apply those techniques to the brainstorming in these sessions. How is the work group structured and how do you anticipate it functioning? So we've selected two members from each senior management team area. We're attempting to to bring in diversity of input from different types of work, uh, different constraints on the kind of work people are doing. So some people might be working with physical objects. Some people might be, you know, primarily on their computers. 
we have a mix of long time and newer employees. We have folks who have been with the campus for a very long time. And we have folks who were actually onboarded online during the pandemic. So we have quite a broad mix of folks. And we're, we're going to hold several brainstorming sessions. We have a set of, of topics and questions that we'll be exploring in those sessions. And uh, it's a short term work group. But we do have the hope that longer term, it will evolve into a committee. And I know there are others throughout IT services who would love to be involved. And as, it, as we evolve forward, I think we'll have an opportunity for that to happen. I think we should stipulate things are just kicking off now, correct? This, this, interview, right. this interview is going to air April the 7th. And I think even that week, you're going to, the, the first meeting will be held. That's correct. Our first brainstorming session is that week, so we'll just be dipping our toe in. Okay. So as far as uh, yeah, you said it was a you know a short-term engagement in, in this conception. So finish this sentence. the The future of work work group will be successful if if they bring their creative minds and their ability to think outside the box to the questions in front of us, because. Right now, what we need from these folks is that out-of-the-box thinking, that creative approach to problem solving and to revisioning what work can be like uh, in kind of a new world. Now, if you're asking about the effort as a whole, right, this, this whole attempt to vision the future of work, then I, I'm going to feel that the effort as a whole is successful. If a year from now we have an improved sense of well-being across our staff without losing the existing high function. I mean, folks have been maybe uber productive throughout this pandemic and the functioning has been very high, uh, but well-being has suffered some. Um, partly that's the pandemic and partly it's because it, it isn't really an ideal situation, right? So we want to create that ideal situation and then really let our, our staff flourish in it. And maybe one last question for you in, in this area, maybe more just for your experience as a, a manager and director of a work group. We have uh, one year of the COVID experience with, you know, with most people telecommuting. So how has just this one year changed your perspective on how and where work is done uh, for the teams that you're managing and leading? So I've long been a believer in telecommuting as an option. I've never seen any problems with productivity or any, in fact, folks tend to be more productive when they're working from home. And I find the most difficult problem is getting them to stop working and take a break. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's actually, I mean, that, you know, it can sound funny, but that is a serious issue, right? You want, you, even let's get beyond the human, right? The human side of it, of course, you do not want people suffering because they're overworking, but that also has an impact on the quality and uh, effectiveness of the work that they do. And so that's an issue, <laughs> trying to get folks to stop working. And that's, I've always been aware of that. Um, but I, I, I guess, so a couple things, a couple caveats here. Uh, a fifth of my staff are still working from campus. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe not every day, but they are on the campus physically dealing with um, handing equipment to our students and um, prepping our, our video facilities for professors to give their lectures and things like that. So, I, and I've never really questioned the ability of any of our staff to work remotely for the things that, that you can do remotely. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think what this year has taught me, though, is that our customers' needs could vary, too. So I would often think, okay, well, these staff have to be in the building because they're helping faculty, and the faculty want to sit down next to them and sharing a computer and get help that way. Well, what the faculty have learned this year is that they can do a lot of things remotely. And so now we know that we're not going to get the same level of request for in-person mm -hmm. assistance in the future. Some of them are realizing it's pretty fast to have a Zoom call and address, you know, you can share screens, you can uh, even drive the other person's monitor so they can see what you doing things on their copy of a, of a piece of software. And that means that our customers might no longer want us to be in person all the time. And so that's going to have a, a big impact on how our staff work and what services they provide. And let's keep our vision on the future, but shift to um, some efforts that you're working on over on the research IT and cyber infrastructure uh, side of things. So just to start big picture and, and bring dear listener along, uh, what is your definition of the research, IT, and cyber infrastructure needed to support UC San Diego and its world-class research mission. Right, so we're really asking what technologies and services are required to allow our researchers to do their best work and, and to be competitive for grants. And the answer to that question really varies over time, and that is exactly why we are digging in again. So. When we asked that question back in 2008, the answers were things like, we need high-speed networking. Uh, we need high-performance computing with some high-speed storage attached to it. We need to have a way, because we didn't have any way, really. We, have, we need to have a focused way to preserve and curate research data. And that was really a fairly new concept at the time. And you know, over the course of UC San Diego's 60 year history, where are we at this moment in the evolution of the needs of research IT? And why is now a time to kind of refresh the thought process and start asking the questions about needs? Yeah, good question. So early on in, in, in UC San Diego's uh, development, the problems of research technology were really solved department by department. I believe it was the chemistry department who had the first computer on campus. Uh, everything was done very much at the department or lab level. There was a lot of ad hoc use of instructional technology for research purposes, especially uh, in the 80s and 90s. Um, and so very expensive sometimes, um, not very efficient solutions to problems. A lot of people were left out because if you didn't have a, a lot of money and you weren't doing big research, you weren't going to be able to develop any kind of tech for yourself. And the best you could have was some email, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't really have coherent infrastructure on the campus. SDSC, per, I would say, is an exception to that. They had, they had HPC, but uh, until after that 2008 report, when we really built something that we called research cyber infrastructure, that was a, a coherent effort. And so really this is our, you know, looking, we started this process roughly 
2018-2019, so 10 years down the road, we said, okay, this 2008 report that was written um, was projecting ahead for roughly 10 years. So, hey, we're at the end of that. It's time to look at this again. And what are the steps or what are the processes that you and the team have undertaken to assess and understand the needs going forward? So we started out by surveying our faculty advisory group just to get a feel for what topics were relevant to them. And we got some interesting responses, but instead of just taking those topics, which came from you know 15 or so faculty members and running with those, we decided we wanted to dig in in a more comprehensive way. So uh, we started to interview high level administration and thought leaders on campus. We're still in that process. It's been slowed down a little because of COVID. Um, not all the folks we want to talk to are available, but we're getting there. Um, have had some really exciting conversations there. We also surveyed all faculty and we heard from uh, about 125 uh, faculty members. So about a 5%, I guess, spending how you count faculty response rate, um, but some great responses, very lengthy and um, helpful responses describing their experiences, their research, their challenges. Uh, and then we used a, a technique called grounded theory, which comes out of social science to kind of surface the themes from the responses. So we asked very open-ended questions and we kind of let them bring up the topics and that allowed us to surface some ideas that we wouldn't have come up with ourselves and that didn't come up in our 15 faculty member conversation. And our next step is that we're going to dig in with some focus groups. So we've asked those 125 faculty who would be willing to serve on a focus group. And we have some topics that we're going to go, go through at length with them. Are, are you able to share the highlights of some of the themes or just some of those things that you, that you and others had not thought of that came through? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll tell you what our, our top themes have been. Um, multidisciplinary research and global and multi-site collaboration is huge. There's increased uh, use of machine learning and really it's across all disciplines. So you have folks in art and literature and social sciences using machine learning. It's not just the uh, medicine for that matter. Um, it's not just engineering uh, as we might've thought in the past. Open data requirements and data sharing needs have surfaced as something that's really important to our faculty. At the same time, there's a, an increased use of central and national data repositories. So places where people are maybe required to be placing their data in a particular format uh, at the end of their research process. Big data is still a topic, but again, it's expanded across disciplines. Um, so one of the one of the quotes that I, I loved from the survey responses were the data sets in neuroscience are reaching petabyte levels. And that was that's like an example of people waking up and saying, hey, I'm in a field that weren't dealing with this kind of data before. And now I've got monster data and I need to learn how to cope with it. There's a, a lot of requests for training and support which we have been hearing for the last couple of years. We do offer uh, a lot of training and support on campus, which sometimes people just aren't aware of. So some of this is just outreach, but we also think there's gonna be needs for more. And we're also hearing about novel types and maybe concepts of research products. So we have in the past thought of a research product as a publication, right? Um, that's what I'm going to put on my resume and my Vita. I'm going to say I've got all these publications. Well, now there's things like source code, 
data sets, maybe dance performances, artworks, photographs, LIDAR data, all this kind of stuff is now really important research products and we need to find the right way to preserve it, to share it, to, to uh, protect it and, and control access to it. So these are kind of the, the topics we're hearing about. Okay, good update there. And then changing topics a little to something else that you're working on. What is the educational data set repository? This is a brand new project and we're with folks all over campus, we're coming together to build the educational data set repository, which we really think is going to set UCSD apart from almost any other campus in the country. So the idea would be a single site that has synthetic data sets that are created and extracted and manipulated basically out of our own uh, educational data, research data sets that are prepared for student use, interesting administrative data sets that uh, students are very interested in administrative data, you know, so like parking data and things like that, they're super interested in. And uh, along with it, some guidance on how to use the data sets, how to um, apply them, and uh, links to the kinds of machine learning and data uh, science skill sets that they will need. And the idea here is that courses all over campus that want students to do projects that pick a data set and do machine learning on it or pick a data set and write some software around it or pick a data set and uh, apply these data science techniques to it. There's a lot of capstone projects uh, both in data science and we think probably coming up in various engineering departments that will need to use this. But we're also hearing about social science folks who want their students to learn how to manipulate data, medicine, um, oceanography. And so the idea is to create one-stop shopping for the students, really easy to use, really clear with all their resources in front of them. So they're not just scrambling to even collect and understand the data in the first place. When you come back, we'll dive more into why students are interested in the parking data, as I think you mentioned. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, we'll save that for another time, or people can, uh, people can email in their guesses as to why. I don't want to see my head scratching, but uh, <laughs> all right, let's close down with just a, a few more uh, questions. You know, here's a, maybe a wider lens on a question that I previously asked. So we, we again, we have this year of experience of working through these COVID conditions um, across you know, teaching, learning, and research. So how has that impacted or changed the roadmap, if you will, of what you would have had in mind for the ATS department you know, 15 months ago versus what it's gonna look like going forward? It's sped up the need to solve a constraint problem. So pushing the campus to teach remotely and accommodating more off-premise students, which we're gonna be doing through next year, means that we've gotta find a way to fund cloud accessible services, but our campus physical services are still needed. So for example, we've got labs that are attached to microscopes. So we can't yet, we can't uh, duplicate that kind of experience off campus. And so um, this kind of pushes up our timeline to fund the cloud services and fund the campus services at the same time. 
Um, we don't want to starve our campus students of their important experiences. So another one is makerspaces, right? That's very exciting. We want our students to have access to makerspaces. We don't want to cut that off to fund the cloud services, um, but we can't do the other uh, we can't do it the other way around either. We can't cut off our cloud services because we need them for our remote students. So there's a lot of creative thinking and needle threading that has to happen. Um, we have to think hard about the purpose of each service, each lab, each software package, and, and probably make some tough prioritizing decisions. So that was always in the works, but we had a little, we thought we had more time and now uh, we really have to get to it and, and solve these problems ASAP. On the research side, I mean, uh, the research side, I think we were already pushing to the future. So our team has been leading national conversations around research IT support. They're cloud experts. They understand, you know, how to help faculty through the new workflows. And our faculty have been very creative about pivoting their research. So I think there's less of a change on that side just because we were so far ahead of the curve. And during this year of COVID, what's the most surprising thing that you've experienced uh, or learned? I, I think the, the most surprising thing I learned was that I thrive telecommuting, which I would never have guessed. <laughs> and uh, from this moment forward, you know, personal or professional, what are you most looking forward to? On the professional side, I'm pretty excited about this collaboration I have with the library, which is we're going to be creating a new data nexus where not just this educational repository can live, but also where connections to research data on campus and beyond can live. Uh, we really think it's going to transform research and instruction. So we're, we're pretty excited about that project. Um, on the personal level, I think my, my, what I'm most excited about is giving my brother a hug because he's been living alone this entire year and it's been particularly hard on him you know my parents had each other and and my sister has her daughter but but my brother's been by himself and boy I'm just really looking forward to that hug well hope it comes soon enough Valerie and really thank you you joining us once again on the current podcast happy to be here I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.